Good morning, Springbrook. Uh, it is so good to be with you, and how appropriate that we are spending a time uh, studying spiritual warfare before we send a team out into a pretty dangerous spiritual warfare area. I think the, the environment is safe, but spiritually, we go to do war. And uh, we, we expect that God will bring us great victory in that. And so I just think it's part of God's planning that we are spending some time uh, getting prepared. And it's been a great couple weeks here focusing on the fact that spiritual warfare is a biblical reality and a biblical fact. And that this physical world is intricately but invisibly connected to a spiritual world at war. And the evidence of this war and the spiritual evil is found all around us in this world that we live in. It is ever-present. It's always there. You can turn on your TV and you will see signs of a spiritual struggle going on. You can walk through your neighborhood and listen to the stories of your neighbors and there is a spiritual struggle going on. And you just listen to the thoughts going on in your own head. And you realize there is a spiritual battle going on at all times. And so the funny thing about this is we have Dr. speaking the first week, and then we have Dr. speaking the second week, and we have Dr. speaking the third week, and we have me this last week. But, <laughs> but uh, the same Holy Spirit that resides within the doctors, I'm convinced, you know, is within me, and the same Word and Source that they have. I have as well, and so I expect it to be good because God and His Word are good. And so uh, let's continue in it as we kind of do a review here. Uh, Three weeks ago, Dr. Fred Dickerson explained the nature of Satan and his fallen demons. And he, uh, uh, boy, that was a lot of notes I took listening to that message. And he had provided some, but there was so much in between to write down. Uh, It was like drinking from a fire hose. But he he laid out what we are up against and what we are involved in regardless of our knowledge or awareness of it. We're in it, people. It's a fight. He got, got, got us kind of scared and said, come back in two weeks to learn what your resources... Or come back next week to learn what your resources are. That tricky man. Anyway, he uh, explained to us what our spiritual resources are in this spiritual battle. And he explained carefully and eloquently the Word of God. And the armor of God that we use to fight and wage this battle. And He challenged us to confess our sins and our failures before the Lord. That we're not people who need to hide it. There's a reason Jesus had to die. It's because we messed up. And it's okay to admit it all the time, every day. Confess. But He also started to add some things that I thought were precious and needed to be remembered That when you screw up, you also can go back and cancel the ground that was given to Satan because of what Christ has accomplished in us. The assault that Satan made, you can reverse. Right? It's because of what Christ has done. Cancel the ground gained against you. Command the enemy to depart and give back to you what he stole from you your joy, anything that He stole. 
take it back. That's what, he, that's what doc, the, um, Dr. Dickinson instructed us. And then he said, uh, after commanding the end, that, we command him to depart and commit our life to glorifying Jesus Christ with all that we have, with all that we've, has been returned to us and given to us in Christ. What great messages. And then Dr. Lou Petrie opened one of my favorite books in the Bible, First uh, John. And that's the book we'll be continuing in today. But he reminded us that in Christ Jesus there is not one bit, not one speck, not one minute piece of darkness. In Him there is no darkness at all. He is the light. And He expels the darkness. And in Jesus Christ, we have victory. And we have the power to live holy lives. And we can be set free from and even destroy the work of the devil by, because of the light of Christ Jesus that dwells within us and works through us and among us. And his conclusion was this. That the key issue of spiritual warfare is the condition of our heart. And he encouraged us to claim the gracious and merciful victory that Christ has won and be set free from sin and bondage that we have been under because of the darkness of this world. And that darkness would be expelled by the glorious light of Jesus. What a great couple weeks. Let's pray that God continue it. Lord Jesus, as we dig further into Your Word, as we uh, ask You to dig deeper into our hearts, and reveal to us what damage has been done by spiritual warfare, and the fact that we can cancel and undo and move forward because of what Christ has done and not because of our own efforts, uh, we can celebrate today. So help us to, to think deeply and reflect deeply and, and to uh, meditate on what the Holy Spirit might say to us as we dig into Your Word and Your truth right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, my goal this week is to encourage you to get rid or deal with footholds that the, de the devil has gained against you or the enemy has gained against you. And those footholds are deep within us. They're not something that exists outside. Jesus, uh, or Satan did not build a, you know, a camp in your front yard. He builds a camp in an area of sin in our lives in an area of struggle, and a lot of times we're not aware of it. And so let's just review um, how evil works before we get into this. The goal of an evil spirit is to oppose the work of God in you and through you and among us. That's his goal. And I want to take some time today to look at his plan and how he accomplishes it. Satan and his demons are spiritual beings whose greatest power is to suggest to you lies. You know, one of the greatest obstacles of getting someone to believe something is true is the obstacle of the, th the fact that they think they already know it. That's a huge obstacle. If they think they already know it, this is true in children's ministry and youth ministry, but if I'm talking to kids about the presence of God or what God's power is, and they think they already know, do you know how hard it is to get them to learn something new? Right? And so today, don't think that you have figured out every lie that the devil has told you. Right? Don't think that uh, 
because you're mature in Christ or you've been going to church for a long time or you know a lot about the Bible, that the devil hasn't gotten you somehow in the past. That we all have something new to learn each moment. That the Spirit is willing to reveal something to us each day that is new and fresh. And so today I want to acknowledge that Satan has been lying in our past. And he's been really, really good at it. And his demons are well-trained and well-equipped. Their lies are often so subtle that most of us are not even aware when the lie slipped in. These demons, they wait for just the right moment and just the right circumstance to deposit in you the suggestion of something that is contrary to God's Word, God's nature, and God's character. And that is not true about what He has done and how He has changed you. He and His, and his minions jump right in at just the right moment and slip it in, hopefully with you unaware. That's why Scripture tells us to be vigilant, watchful for the devil. Because he's busy and he's deceitful and he's strategic and he tries to do his thing at all times. And so at just the right, he has just the right lie, and he's been doing this for thousands of years. He knows how to manipulate human beings. He knows how to watch for signals that their guard is down, that the shield of faith has been dropped and the helmet of salvation has been taken off and the sword of the Spirit has been laid down. He's watching for it to happen and he's waiting and he's patient and he's ready with just the right lie at just the right time. Perhaps you were. It, perhaps this lie slipped in when you were abused. And the lies that are connected to you are extreme. It happened at an extremely emotional and damaging moment when that lie was suggested to you, and you think it's true, so very true, because the feelings that that lie produces are so strong and seem so real. But nevertheless, they are lies. Or perhaps the lie was told to you when you were offended by someone. And you have used that suggestion that the devil slipped into your mind to become judgmental and vengeful and critical because you believed a lie. Or perhaps the lies you were told were when you were successful and you were having a great time and you've attached those lies your self-image and your self-value and you think that your, your performance is what makes you great or your capacity to accomplish tasks are what make you great or your ability to do certain things well are what make you valuable or lovable. But that is not what the Bible says. That is not what the cross says. And so in those, even in those moments of great success and great victory, the devil is waiting with just the right lie when your shield of faith goes down and he slips a pride lie in or he slips a dependency on self lie in. He's got a whole army of liars ready to lie at the right time, at the right place. Perhaps the lie was told when you were being entertained. And I work with teenagers and I see this a lot. 
they get lied to a lot when they are watching internet videos or Netflix. I love Netflix, it's great, but there's lies that are coming in at all times. A few weeks ago I talked about uh, Satan being the power, the prince of the power of the air. And I didn't really understand that, but he is working to spread his lies in all, by all ways and all means possible. And through media and through music and all those things, and his lies are being uh, told and they're slipping into our thought patterns and our ways of thinking. His lies are being told in our culture, among our neighbors. They're just everywhere at just the right times, in just the right place. And so here's the point. The father of lies and all his deceitful demons know what lie to tell at what moment in order to gain foothold against you, within you. And these lies have some common qualities, and I mentioned some of them, but I'm going to go through a list here um, that's, that's, I tried to be a little bit exhaustive, but there's probably more. But here it is. They will contradict the Word of God. That's number one, the most important thing. If it's a lie, it disagrees with the Word of God. Satan never preaches truth. He preaches what sounds like the truth. Or he preaches a slight twist on the truth. Or he preaches a complete lie. Right? But he, it, to you, it feeds you. It, it feeds your emotions. It gets you in the right place. Right? It's contrary, though, to the Word of God. These lies will cause us to doubt the very character of God, His ability to do what is good and right and loving and what is in our best interest. Think back to the Garden of Eden. And Eve is before the serpent and Adam stands right next to her. And he says, did God say that you should not eat from any tree in the garden? And she says, no, He just said this tree. He said we shouldn't eat from it lest we die. Satan then, bold face, lies. You won't die. You'll become like God. Knowing both good and evil. He's trying to keep something from you. And he's trying to get Eve to distrust the very nature and character of God so that she would rebel against him and he would gain the sin foothold against all mankind in that moment. He doesn't mess around. And he's done the same to us. He's been doing it since that day. His first attempt was fantastic. And he's had a great track record ever since. Until someone came along and messed all his plans up. They will attack our identity in Christ. These lies. They will cause us to disbelieve what Jesus said and proved to us. And they most certainly will entice us to some sort of sin. And they will wrap us up in the cares of this world and often become idolatry. I think most really good lies are three words. This is important. This is valuable. Those three little words, you know, this is important or this is valuable, those are big lies. And I believe those three, those three little words in different times and different phrases, this is important or valuable, I believe those. And I've wasted my kingdom time and my life here on earth believing in something that was not important and not valuable 
and not worth my time or effort. And so a lot of times, Satan gets us with just little, simple lies. And they catch us in the cares of this world and we become idolaters. So they lead us to sin. They cause discouragement, fear, and a sense of defeat. Has anybody ever felt discouragement, fear, and a sense of defeat? I struggle with that all the time. And I'll talk about it at the end here, but it's his constant goal is to keep us afraid. They will cause us to judge others and be critical, cause divisions among us. They'll stimulate pride and a sense of superiority and reduce our ability to serve. So they make us, uh, they attempt to make us resist the work of God in us, the work of God through us, and the work of God among us. Once the lie is planted, it's believed. Once the lie is believed, usually sin is committed as a result, and the devil gains his his foothold, and he gains a place to attack from. And once he gets that foothold, once he gets that place in our life, it's not like he stops and takes a nap. His assault continues, and he then, once he gets us down from sin, he becomes switches to his other role, the accuser, the shame bringer, the guilt layer. Right? And he just unloads. He launches, while we're down, he just launches fiery darts he knows will hurt and wound and shame. And, and he just goes nuts on us as often as he can. And he paralyzes us with that shame and that accusation. And in that, he inflates your desire to control your own life because you feel like it's lost control and to control others. Or he attempts to isolate you from other believers because of the lies that he's fed to you. Or he attempts to isolate you from intimacy with God, attempting to disprove the work of the cross. Jesus died on a cross so that you might be, have full access to God regardless of the sins that you have committed. You just bring them before and say, I repent, I'm sorry. Cleaned off. The righteousness of Christ is placed upon you. The breastplate of righteousness is yours in Christ. Right? He sees the perfection of His Son when you walk into the room, into His presence. And so there's no need to be ashamed or believe the lies of the devil that you don't belong in the presence of God because it was for His own sake that He decided you will be there. He determined your value, not you, not your performance, not your accomplishment, not your hairstyle, not your outfit, not your bank account, the size of your house, the quality of your car. None of those things determine your value. Not your boss, not your paycheck, not your last employee review. None of it. God says you're valuable. You belong in the presence of the Lord. And that is it. He is finished with that work. So here's the question. Where have you given the devil that foothold? We haven't even gotten to the Scriptures yet. There's a lot of stuff we talked about that's in the Scriptures. But let's go specifically. Uh, Dr. Lou Petrie started us in 1 John uh, chapter 1. Today we're going to go into chapter 2, verse 12. And he addresses all the believers. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and take it out. We have it up on the screen for you if you don't. Uh, 
And he addresses all the believers. And I love this. This is Smoopy. This is Smoopy. He's, I love John. He's just affectionate and tender and encouraging and uplifting. And he builds you up before he gives you the bad news. Right? And so this is just enjoy this opening moment. It is so good. I am writing to you, little children. I love you. You get the tone. I think Mary's a letty when I think of this. She's a sweet lady. Little children. I love those little children. You know? And it's like I almost hear a southern accent in this. Oh, you little children. You're so sweet. You're God's little children. And that one is referring to the young ones who have just become believers. Little children. Because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. Woohoo! Performance doesn't matter. I am forgiven for His name's sake because He's awesome, not me. Right? I'm forgiven. Yeah! Let's move on. I am writing to you fathers. Now, fathers here talks about the leaders of the church. Uh, Fathers being the ones who are responsible to teach the Word and preach the Word. And so it gives them a a sense of responsibility in that. It says, you fathers. And I would say that there are spiritual mothers too. Uh, From Corinthians, we believe that Older men mentor the younger men, and older women mentor the younger women, okay? But it says, those of you who, who parent or father because of you know, you know Him who is from the beginning. God has revealed to you His nature that is preexistent, that He is infinite in every direction, including time and space. And that you know that Christ was preexistent and that He was present through the Old Testament, and it had His plan unfolding. And you who are mature in Christ have watched the plan and looked back at history and read the Word of God and understand that you have seen Christ unfolding His plan since the garden when it says He will crush the serpent's heel and the serpent will strike a fatal blow. That is a description from day one. Actually, it's actually day six or whatever. <laughs> but it's in, the, it's in the first chapters of the Bible where it, where it says the serpent will strike him, but uh, he deals a fatal blow to the devil. It's a prediction of the Messiah that one of Eve's children, 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 would be the one who could crush the serpent. That's a prediction of Jesus all the way at the beginning. And the plan unfolds all the way to the end. It's His plan. And you fathers and you mothers, you know it. That's your responsibility to teach it to the little little children. Right? It's our job. It's our responsibility. So, because you know Him who is from the beginning, I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Yes. You young ones have the power to overcome the evil one. Did you know that the same Spirit that resides in the pastors and in the leaders and in Moses, right? And the great characters of the Bible and David and and all of them, that same Holy Spirit resides in you. You have the power to overcome the evil one. Even if you're a junior higher or a third grader or a child because of what Christ has put in you. His Holy Spirit. Right? I write to you children because... You know the Father. Now, it doesn't say little children. It says all y'all. Right? I write to all the children of God. Whether you be father or young one or child, new in the faith or mature in the faith, 
right to you all because we know who daddy is. We know who dad is. We know what he's like. We know his character. It's been revealed to us. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. Now, wait a minute. I had to go back and check because it seemed unnecessary to say the same sentence that he said before. Do you get that? He says it again. I think it's portraying the importance of that to become spiritual fathers, spiritual parents to people, to help them mature in Christ. It is discipleship. It's a challenge for us. So I write to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, and then it increases it. It gets even more encouraging. I love it. Because you are strong. I like being told I'm strong. And the Word of God abides in you. It means it takes up active living residence. It doesn't take naps in you, right? It's abiding. It's breathing. It's, a, it's got an activity. It dwells like, a, like your home. And it, it lives within you, right? It abides in you. It stays in you. And you have overcome the evil one. So just remember as we proceed into this next passage to talk about those footholds, this is all true. We win. We won in Christ. We have the power. We have the strength. And when we study the Word of God and grow and mature, it gives us the power to overcome the evil one. And so after reminding them that they're forgiven and known by God, His very own children, that God's nature is revealed to them, that they are strong in the Lord, that the, the God's Word abides in them, and that they will overcome the evil one, He then leads them into this next section of warning. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Oh, man. Netflix is good. You know, I'm not a commercial. I don't sell Netflix, by the way. But I like it, you know. But I probably like it too much. Video games are good, right? But um, maybe my attraction to them and my desire for them is not so good. It's too strong. It's more than like. I love it. And I depend on it for things that I shouldn't. It says this, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can only have one master, not two. You can only have one love and one attention, not two. So make sure that the Lord is the center of it. And then, to get us to stop loving this world, John, the author, lays it out and lays out this description of what the world has to offer. And then just slams it. Right? He says, the desires of the flesh... This means things that make us feel good or make us feel relieved, but displease God. Right? And that is the desires of the flesh. Now, there are things that we can do that make us feel good and feel right that are the desires of the Holy Spirit. So God's not denying all things that feel good at all. You know, have a sandwich. You know, enjoy lemonade. Smooch your wife. Right? Snuggle your husband. Make babies. You know, lots of good things. Lots of great stuff to do that is pure and right and good and holy. Feel the grass between your toes if you like that kind of thing. Right? Or turn on the air conditioning. You know, they're not bad things. Right? So, 
These are the desires of the flesh, the things that displease God, that cause us to be distracted from our kingdom effort. Right? That cause us to become dull and useless. Or things that involve us in sin. The second thing is the desires of the eyes. I'm like my eyes. You know, as I first read this, what is my, my eyes need, you know, eye drops and glasses. But that's not what it's talking about here, is it? It's talking about what you can see, take possession or control of. The desire, the, if you really love those things passionately, I'm scared, right? Or the, the, the stuff that the possessions you think will make you happier. It says those are the desires of the eyes. It has some bad things to say about them later. And then it says the pride of life, which means pride of my life, my accomplishments, my attractiveness, who I am, my abilities. I really think it means a lot of you like the cheers and the fans and the applaud of others, right? You like, do we all, how many of you want to admit, oh, Justin, this verse got me, got me. I love some of those things. Come on, raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to. I know. <laughs> Sinners. We all get all these things. It all, that's why Jesus had to come. To set us free from these things. But these things are not from the world, from the Father, but from this world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. All the stuff and all the good pleasures, sinful pleasures, all that stuff is fading and will end in nothing. In emptiness and worthlessness. The car, the house, the hair, the body shape, the career, the good outfits, all going to end in nothing. But there's a good news here. For whoever does the will of God abides forever. Those works count and go with you forever. They abide with you. You take those things with you. What you do for the Lord is awarded to you because it gives Him glory. So that, that is an awesome promise. But the truth of this, this matter is that the love of the world shows a foothold exists. Right? On a deep level, there is some lie or bunch of lies hidden within all of us and each and every one of you and me that has caused us to love the world and the things of this world. And these lies caused us to believe and fear that God is not enough but that fear is not true. It is a lie. God is enough no matter how bad or difficult or challenging or exhausting life may be. Often in spiritual warfare, we are most afraid to fight the spiritual warfare that goes on inside of us and that has already been done against us and gained some control over us. It's those impure motives and those selfish desires and the need to control and fears and doubts we have about God's goodness to us. But take courage. 
take a lot of courage. Be very joyful about this. There is no work hidden down deep inside of you done by Satan that God has not already defeated because of what Christ has done on our behalf. No matter how bad it is down deep, the deal is done and it is finished and He wins for us. So don't be too afraid to recognize that there is a battle deep down in you. Because 1 Timothy 1.7 says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. And so He's ready to move in us and do great things in us. And He is ready to do battle in us. But this message is personal, isn't it? This is one of those that you have to seek the Holy Spirit and ask God, what lies in the past do you believe that caused you to get the devil to get a, a foothold in your life that causes you to love this thing, the things of this world more than the things of the Lord? And dig down deep and be reminded of this. Um, Dr. Dickinson opened with Ephesians 6.10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Take it on. Get an attitude, people. You've got plenty of resources to fight this battle. You're going to win because of what He has done. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able, may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The plot He twists is deep. Right? And it's down inside of us. And we have got to go down in the power of the Spirit, in the, in the presence of the Spirit, and with the power of God's Word dwelling in our hearts to defeat these things. So ask God to reveal to you what lies you have believed that have caused you to develop a love for the world and the things in it. And ask God to show you the truth from His Word about those things. And here's the other thing. Don't do this alone. Before it talked about spiritual fathers, those spiritual parents that we have, those ones who take responsibility, who are told twice that they are knowledgeable on the character of God and who He is for a reason. That they have a responsibility because of all that they've been given in Christ. They have a responsibility that they're going to help. Right? We've got to help. And so, go to others. And go to your other young believers who start to know the Word and are, starting, are waging battle in themselves and learn some Scripture and find out some, some of the truth that God says and, and pick up God's Word and, and pick up uh, solid Christian authors and read them and dig in. Because this is a personal, intricate, deep message, but it's also an us community message that we all have to do this together. And talk about what's going on inside together. And so I want to close with a confession of my own. About my own internal spiritual battle. One that I have dealt with for years now. And I've talked about it before, but I want to talk about some of the victory that God has given me. I have anxiety that causes me to tremble at times, at night, or in the morning. 
or as I'm about to walk past that curtain onto this stage, or to stand before kids or before I go on a retreat, or before I try to write a message of hope. And that can be crippling at times. So much that I can't move and I can't find the motive to go on. And I feel beaten down and I, I'm, I'm placed at the end of my rope. But the end of your rope is not a bad place to be. That's where God does some really amazing work. And so when I'm down at the end of my rope and I am beaten down and the devil has started to just unload a full quiver of fiery arrows at me faster than I can repel them. And he says this lie to me. He says, stay down. Chicken out. Just don't go into the fight. You can't get up and you can't go on. And I feel like it's true. I cry out at the end of my rope. And he hears me and he answers my cries, even though I've been miserable up to this point. And all of a sudden, his word comes alive in me. And the strength of his might and his power rises up and starts to fight the inner battle that is within me. And God begins to quote His Word to me. Because I've spent time in it. And I've had others suggest it to me. And I've had others write cards and notes of encouragement that told me the truth. You are the beloved of God, according to 1 John 4, 4, my dear child. You have already won victory over these people. Because the Spirit who lives in you is greater than the Spirit who lives in the world. And while I'm beat up on the floor, I don't know how to describe it as anything other than a mighty smile comes across my face as the Word of God comes alive in my heart. And more Scripture begins to rush in my head for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor fears about today or tomorrow, right? Neither, nor any spiritual power, nor height, nor depth, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate me from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus, my Lord. And I'm standing up, right? And I'm not afraid because I don't have a spirit of fear. I have a righteous God. And my shield of faith comes up. And I said, it's time to stop shooting, dude. I'm going to draw my sword on you. Because I've been given a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. I will press on because of His might and His strength and the truth of His Word. And I will not be anxious about anything. 
But in all things, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving and praise, present my request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. Amen. So these words that are written in the Bible give me courage and strength to fight the lies, and they expose them for what they are. And my identity in Christ grows again and grows strong and grows more and more present. And even though I am very, very weak in my own humanity, in my own brokenness of missing chemicals in my mind, I am strong in the Lord. And that's my testimony from last night, from today when I woke up. That the Scripture's got to come alive. And I'm not saying that doctors and medicines can't help. They can. But you have got to remember that there is an invisible battle that you can't see going on in the spirituals. And it has effect on your physical body. And you can treat those and go to a doctor and, and do all those things. But fight the spiritual battle too. Right? Fight the battle in the Spirit, with the Word of God. I pray that you do that. Let's pray together as we close out. Lord Jesus, we're just so grateful that You give us Your Word and Your Spirit and Your Son and the victory. And we can be confident in those things. And when Satan gets a foothold against us, we don't have to lay on the floor in guilt and shame and fear feeling beat and depressed and abused and broken, we can rise up in the strength of the Lord. That despite our own weakness as human beings, that our God is greater and is able to accomplish accomplish infinitely, infinitely more than we could ever hope or ask. And so God, we just come to You admitting that You win. You won. And when the devil reminds us of how bad things are right now, we can remind him that the battle was already won a long time ago. And when he tries to scare us about the future, we can remind him of the judgment to come where we will stand with the winner and he will be the leader of the losers. And so God, help us, help us to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.